0: I take my chances, I believe in dancing When the time to get hard, I ain't afraid to work I watch the sun rise, like it's the last time I might ever get to see her smile
1: Man can be made to feel weak and powerless. It can be done to him, and he can do it to himself. Generally, it's some of both. But when and if he considers what's next for him, he has a question. Who commands my fate? Another man? Myself? God? This is a story about that question for a couple of ordinary guys from a while back, trying to make a go of it the only way they knew how. Beat Vinton reads a public auction notice nailed to a fence post at the end of a long dirt road. Beyond that, an empty farmhouse surrounded by fallow fields of dust. First, Iowa Bank announces public farm and estate auction, May 13, 1893, presented by Burlow Brothers Farm Brokerage and Auctioneers. Pete hoists his knapsack and trudges toward the house. Pete checks the door. It's locked. He looks through the front window to the empty room, turns and leaves the porch. Pete enters the barn, absorbing its emptiness, walks to the far corner, climbs up the wall ladder into the hayloft. He walks to the edge of the platform and lunges out, grabbing a crossbeam. Dangling 30 feet up, he swings his legs up, sits, and inches over to the wall. There awaits an old metal yeast can. He pries, but it won't budge. He throws it down to the ground. On the ground, he twists the can, throws it back down, stomps it with his heel until it squawks open. Inside the can, there's letters, a woman's silver cross necklace, and a photograph. This farmhouse, with a family posing on the front steps, Ma, Pa, and two young boys. The clip-clop rattle of an approaching horse-drawn wagon breaks his trance. He peers out through the doors, seeing a fat man on a wagon, still 50 yards away. He walks toward the house, picking up a dead tree branch. As the wagon arrives, Pete emerges with a knapsack slung over his shoulder, looking disinterested, playing the branch as a walking stick. The man is old Fred Burlow, tobacco chaw in cheek.
2: Hello there! You, uh, John Vinton? No, sir. I'm taking care of the sale. Auction ain't till Saturday.
3: Yeah. Saw the sign there. You gonna put down a bid?
1: Pete eyes the
2: man as he slides down from the buggy.
3: Don't think I will. No?
2: Vinton folks' plum run out of vinegar, but it's a good plot. Just need some rain and some smarts. Put down a bit. Can't do worse than those bastards.
1: Pete moves toward him.
2: I ain't going to give me no trouble, are you? Why don't you get now?
1: Fred reaches into the buggy, retrieving a shotgun.
2: Boy, I'm telling you, I don't like the way you're...
1: Pete whips the stick across Fred's temple, shattering it into 20 pieces. Fred drops to the ground Ow! as the gun falls and blasts a shot destroying the ground floor windows. Pete chases down the buggy, throws his knapsack inside, jumps aboard, and circles red as he moans and rolls, then cracks the horse to a gallop. At a crossroads, Pete stops the wagon, gathers the knapsack, and drops to the ground. He turns the horse back toward the house and gives her a slap. Pete walks head down along the small town's main street. We see a common theme in the miller's fine jewelry window going out of business. Copeland Feed Store, no rain, no grain. The Kettle Cafe, thank you for 12 years of patronage. See you in Chicago. A horse-drawn wagon loaded to the hilt with a large family and all their earthly belongings rolling out of town, a young boy and girl watching their skinny hound trail behind. Peter arrives at the front gate of a modest clapboard house. He takes a deep breath. The sound of children's voices floats through the screen door. Sarah rounds the corner of the front room. She spots Pete standing on the porch. Stops. Hello.
3: Well, hello. I'm Pete. Pete who? Good
1: Christ. That's Betsy Martin. She sits, arms dropped still, holding a fan in each hand. Nora Vinton appears. She freezes. Pete? Pete, I can't believe
4: it. i um,
3: sorry to show up, Nora. Um...
4: Come in! <laughs> Sarah, it's... it's Uncle Pete, remember?
1: More kids appear.
4: This is Annabelle, Christopher, and
3: Bonnie. You've met Sarah. Annabelle, oh, well, you're just a little. Is... John?
1: Betsy holds her ground. Lost their farm, you know. Well, it was Pete's place, too.
5: In here, children. Come on.
3: Where's John?
4: Working at Searchers. Their dairy and. They're on the river, so they've managed.
3: I'll give him a hand.
1: She huddles into him.
4: Pete, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're all right. But fair warning, John won't likely see it that way.
3: Yeah, I I, I figured. (laughs) I'm sorry to... uh... Take
4: Pigeon Springs Road out. You'll find him.
1: He turns, picks up his knapsack, leaves.
5: No vacancy, girl. No more stray dogs here.
1: Pete walks along a dirt road, the small dairy ahead. He squeezes through the fence to cut across the field. John Vinton slops around in a milking shed, scraping cow manure into a drainage bin. A cow wanders over. Get out of here. Hey, John. John jumps and turns, startled, then stunned. He takes a breath, goes back to scraping.
6: Well, he's back. Sorry I don't have a robe or a ring or a fatted calf for you.
3: First, I want to tell you I'm sorry. I have
6: a whole lot of shit. What, what's that?
3: Sorry that I... Oh, uh... y-
6: oh, you're sorry. Father of four, 37 years of age, shoveling another man's shit. And uh, you're what now? Johnny. Uh... How'd you know I was here? You been out to the
3: old place? I come back to tell you
6: that I'm sorry,
3: and I want to- And where's our
6: money?
1: What'd you do with the money we needed to plant, Pete? John's in Pete's face, Uh shoving him. I don't have it, huh? What are you doing here then, huh? Another harder shove knocks Pete down. With my money, my half. (laughs) Your half, it was our home. John descends on Pete, swinging wild punches. John's not a fighter. Pete, smaller but more athletic, covers up. A punch gets through, splitting Pete's lip. Pete grabs John's suspenders, pulling them sideways. Pete rises to his feet. John spins and runs at Pete. Pete connects with a kick to the gut. John groans but keeps coming, landing a haymaker. Pete flashes a look of fury, shoving John onto his back and gripping his shirt, slams him onto the hard ground.
3: I told you to sell, and you wouldn't do it.
1: Old Zurcher appears from the house, hobbling on a cane.
3: Hey, quit
7: wrestling and get working!
1: Pete looks to Zurcher, and John takes another swing, missing. Pop wasn't <clears throat> dead a week. John struggles, but the sight of his brother's face, bloody and enraged, stops him.
6: We never came back from that. Every year deeper in hock to make up for it, till we lost it
1: all. John gives one last shot. <clears throat> Pete stumbles, half sitting down.
7: Only paying for one of you, you yeah.
1: They're both exhausted, covered in manure. John turns, picks up the scraper, waves to Zercher, gets back to the scraping.
6: This will take half a home and disappear. That's the coward's way.
1: The cow wanders back. Now get out of here, you dumb! He swings the scraper clobbering the cow on the rump. And you too. I got work to do.
3: Come on, I'll give you a hand.
6: No. No, you you heard the man. He's, He's only paying for one of us. You might want your half.
1: So long. Pete gets up, pulls an envelope from his bag.
3: You wanted off that farm every bit as much as me. Hanging on out of fear of Pop after he's dead and buried. That's the coward's way. Have a look before a cow gets it.
1: He puts the envelope down on a salt lick, turns and crosses the field. John scrapes as Pete goes through the fence to the road. He looks at the envelope. A cow looks at him. and the envelope, he scrapes one eye on the cow. Pete walks down the dusty road to a bridge 15 feet above a small, slow-moving river. He drops his knapsack and jumps over the side. John reaches down for the envelope just before the cow nabs it. Pulls out a deed for 160 acres, recorded in Olympia, Washington. Two names. Vinton, Peter, John, Vinton, John, Peter. He puts it up on a rail and scrapes. John crosses the bridge, seeing Pete below, standing on the riverbank cleaned up and throwing rocks. Pete looks up. Jump in.
3: It ain't deep, but deep enough.
1: John looks down. It's too high for him. He puts the envelope in Pete's knapsack, looks for another way down. Ah, come on. John slides down a steep dirt bank to the river's edge, wades in, dives, then stands up, the water only reaching his belly.
3: Deep enough for what? Yeah, I might have broke my ankle. So how'd you get the land? Anybody can homestead out there, and it's real cheap.
6: Our land was cheap, too. Cheap land's pretty expensive these days.
3: Yeah. Well, last year, I worked a ship in Maine, headed to Frisco, was fixin' to make a go in the gold and silver business up in Spokane. Then I see that boat's full of timber. I asked the chief, what the hell for? They got lots of trees out there. And he says they're paying triple the price cause there ain't enough mills out there yet. So I tucked that away in my noggin, did some scouting around, and got us a homestead. Johnny, it's perfect. Nothing but trees 300 feet tall. Now, there's just one company out there right now. So, the race is on. Race for what? Just a matter of time before the big outfits move in. I'm talking about our own company. Benton Brothers Timber. LTD.
1: Nora fidgets, facing a police officer on the porch as Betsy listens from behind the screen door.
8: The man's description sounds a lot like John.
1: So the man can talk, then.
5: Oh, he'll be fine.
8: Well, Doc says if his brain's not bleeding, he'll be all right, but you can't know for sure. You sure he wasn't out at the old place today?
4: No. He was at Zurcher's. Go there and see for yourself.
8: Reckon I will, first thing tomorrow. Doesn't sound like him to do such a thing, but... And take a man's house, and well, all right then. I got supper waiting. Back tomorrow if need be. Good night. He walks into the twilight.
1: Nora turns to Betsy as she huffs and walks away.
5: He brings trouble like flies to shit.
1: Pete and John meander down the street. <laughs>
3: I was gonna help you bring in the corn and, uh, get you to come back with me.
1: Yeah,
6: we're likely heading up to Chicago with everybody else. So we do this with all our lumberjacking experience.
3: That's why we work in a camp and a mill. We stick away our money to get going while we learn the ropes. I figure we need about six months. One of those trees has 3,000 feet of boards in it, rough cut at 30 cents a foot. A mill cranks out 30,000 feet a day. That's serious money, brother. Timber's better than gold, because it's all there in plain sight. Just got to cut it down.
6: I reckon there's a little more to it than that.
3: Well, the key is to get out on top of the pile. Nobody out there does. They're all hand to mouth. We get on top. Get guys working for us.
1: They round the corner and see the officer walking ahead. Pete stops John, backing up. He turns and walks quickly away. What's going on? John and Pete approach the Martins' front yard. I'll see you around back. John reaches the porch, meeting Nora, Betsy, Sarah, Annabelle, and Lee, Nora's father.
0: Papa, a policeman was here today. Where is he?
1: John scoops up Sarah and Annabelle. He greets them with warmth, but it's forced and heavy. That's interesting. What did the policeman say? Auctioneer was hurt pretty bad.
6: Thought you did it. Not killed?
4: Oh, for God's sakes. No, just beat up.
1: That's good. Wasn't me. I was out making big bucks. Now don't spend it on one place. He flips the quarters to Nora, puts down the girls, continues to the back.
6: You gotta get out of here tomorrow. Old Betsy will squawk for sure.
3: Yeah. Come with me. Now's the time this place is withering up. The Lord opens the door, brother. But you gotta walk through it.
6: What's the Lord think of you beating the hell out of people? You got money to get us going? I don't.
3: Yeah. Just enough. Let me think about it.
9: Hm.
1: Yeah. Every square inch of the tiny bedroom is crowded. Nora sits on the bed, dabbing Sarah and Annabelle with a washcloth as they drift off. Christopher sleeps on the floor. Bonnie's in the open bottom dresser drawer. How long you think your folks can put us up? As long as it takes, I suppose,
4: till we're back on our feet.
6: Pete's got some land out west, and he thinks we can make a timber business out of it. But we need six months, save up money, and get started. Just us two.
4: What about Chicago?
1: Nora leans forward. Sarah watches.
4: You and Pete out west for six months? Do you trust him? After what he did?
6: Don't know for sure. Do you? You've been hearing me cuss him for... (sighs) You don't blame him, do you? No. Pop always said our land's good dirt for dying on, so I thought that was the prize. You don't leave good dirt, he'd say. And I let two fair offers pass. But
4: I don't blame you either. If it had just rained, we'd be fine. It didn't, so here we are. It's nobody's fault, John.
1: John looks down.
4: What do you want to do? You don't want to go to Chicago. Neither do I. Maybe survival, but it's not a life.
1: Nora wipes her tears. All right.
6: Let's shoot for a life then. If that doesn't work, there's Chicago. Six
1: months. Pete lies under an elm tree, gazing up. He looks back toward the house, seeing John and Nora in the upstairs bedroom window.
4: Not a day more. I'll murder the woman.
1: (laughs) That a promise? Nora gathers herself, reaches to move Annabelle over.
4: Sleep on my side tonight.
1: She'll fall out.
4: Hey, aren't you gonna miss me?
1: She takes two pillows and a blanket, throws them on the tiny strip of floor, lays down. He follows. John, Nora, Betsy, and Lee do battle around the dining room table after breakfast. John bolts up, exits. Pete and the kids sit in a circle as Pete teaches them how to make pine needle necklaces.
5: He could have won that land in a card game for all you know.
1: Pete ties a necklace around Sarah's neck as she grins. John returns.
6: I got a deed. It's recorded.
1: I ain't a fool. I'll
5: send money
6: every... Oh,
1: keep your damn money. This isn't
5: about money. Well, somebody's got to feed them all. You better send money.
1: Lee stands up. He storms out of the front door. It's going to be all right. John kisses Nora's head and leaves as Nora fights tears. Lots of
5: uncivilized women out there, Nora. Loose, Mother, please.
1: Diseased. Nora jumps up and gathers the cups. John plops down next to Pete, unaware Nora's listening from the kitchen. You damn well better know what you're doing. John looks back, realizing that Nora has heard this. He stands up to shake it all off. He reaches down, helps Pete up. John, Nora, and the kid stand in a cramped line, inching toward the train with scores of families in a mass exodus. Inside the office, Troy Watson, dull, bald, but a snappy dresser, talks to the conductor. He approaches the ticket window, motions to the ticket agent, who pulls down the shade. Closed. Where is he? John looks down the line for Pete. The hordes climb in, leaving John alone with his family as Nora cries. I don't know. He looks beyond the station to the street where a police officer approaches. She couldn't let him stay for a few hours.
8: All aboard! Who's going aboard?
1: John looks back to the train. Up in the train window, a hand waves. Pete's head peeks up. Just enough to see his eyes, John sighs, turns to Nora. He gives her a silent, passionate embrace and a kiss. He kisses and hugs each child, Annabelle last. He tries to put her down, but she clings to his arms. Nora pulls her, but she grasps John's arm with all her strength.
4: Hey! Ain't waiting for ya! be brave. We gotta be brave, sweetheart. We'll see Papa soon.
1: Nora wrenches her away. Love you all. He disappears into the dark cabin. John takes the only empty seat as the train jerks ahead. He sees his family walking away from the station. He waits for them to look back, but they don't.
3: there you are. Hey, say goodbye to home sweet home, brother. I ain't never coming back, I'll tell you that.
1: Nora and all four children snuggle in bed. Nora strokes Christopher's head. Sarah twirls a lock of Nora's hair around her finger. Nora hums, looking through the window to the western horizon. John awakes to a piercing ray of sunlight over an endless flat plain dotted with sod houses. Pete sleeps. The train chugs, winding through the rugged, rocky mountains as John stares out, captivated. Pete sleeps. The train rolls along the cliffs of the Pacific coast as the sun sets. John watching in awe. He nudges Pete for a look. Pete gives a quick glance and turns over. I was born to go,
0: but maybe I don't need to understand it. I take my chance.
1: Rain pours down as Pete and John step off the train into this new world of green and gray. Aberdeen, Washington, a western town on the rise, surrounded by acres of clear-cut former timberland. Wooden storefronts, giving way to brick and stone, mud streets lined with saloons, logging equipment, purveyors and banks, They walk to the office window where notice reads, Logging, highball crew, ten open jobs. Meet Corner Porter and Cole, Monday, May 28th, 3.30 a.m. A.m. Another sign reads, Mill, four doggers, two pole monkeys needed. Inquire here during business hours. Pole monkey?
3: Yeah. Run around the logs, make sure they don't get jammed up.
1: Doesn't sound too bad. In the river. John wipes his brow. It's real now. No turning back.
3: I'll do it. I'll head to the mill, you head to the hills. Sound good?
1: Let's stick together, don't you think?
3: No. This way, you learn the cutting, I learn the milling. And we teach each other. You want to get out there fast, don't you? You'll be okay without your little brother, don't worry.
1: (laughs) John gives him a shove. All right.
3: Hold my hand now and pull across the street.
1: John tries on some new spiked cork boots. They pick up the essentials. Gloves, slicks, short jeans, suspenders, and a pile of socks. The clerk has seen their type a thousand times before. Young greenhorns looking for work. They cross to McCormick's, a combination saloon, hotel, and whorehouse dominating the center of town. They step to the front desk where Camilla rules the roost.
10: Good evening, gentlemen. Need a room. Alright. Just one? Yeah. You're in twelve, and I'll send up my very finest. No, no, no.
6: no. Just a room.
10: Couple of straight arrows, eh? Five bucks.
6: I gotta get up at three in the morning. You'll so wake.
10: <laughs> You'll wake
8: up, darling. Don't you worry. Sweet dreams,
10: sir.
1: John awakes to a shy teenage prostitute lying on his bed, hardly visible, like a ghost.
10: You asked for me?
1: No, no. Just to wake up. How old are you? Sorry. She dresses and leaves. John gets up and gathers his gear as a huge bouncer blasts in. He is Ted, and he grabs John. You don't pay, you pay! He slugs John in the stomach, doubling him over. John struggles as Ted tries to grapple him. She, she just woke me up. Pete wakes and jumps on Ted, choking him from behind. John lands a couple of shots to the face, and they shove him out the door and down the stairs. They return to the room and lock the door. Pete pulls on his pants. John grabs his gear. What'd you do to him? The girl didn't take any money out he thought we didn't pay. Girl? We didn't pay.
3: Open up!
1: Pete opens the window, looks down. Ted's footsteps plunk into the distance. He's onto them. Pete throws his bag, climbs out, hangs from the sill, drops. John follows. They run down the alley barefoot. Then Ted appears at the other end. They turn and sprint away, too fast for Ted. They stop to catch their breath. Pete finds a place to sit, pulls socks over his muddy bare feet.
3: What time is it?
1: Uh, Three. I I gotta go. Where are your boots? In my bag. Wear them. Now?
3: Wear them all the time. Everybody wears them all the time. Don't ask me why.
1: John sits down, and they put on their spiked cork boots. I'm gonna
3: take a look around. Come down on Sunday. I'll meet you at the uh, the wagon wheel. There. All right. right. See you Sunday. See you Sunday.
1: John turns a corner onto a dark street, flinching with each step in the stiff boots. He sees a pair of thugs wrestling with a drunk logger a hundred feet ahead. One delivers a knockout punch, the other hoists the limp guy onto a shoulder, carries him to a wagon and plops him down with five other unconscious saps. They continue down the street to where Harry slumps, sleeping on the boardwalk. He awakes as he's grabbed and struggles.
0: Now! now you crimps! I'll kill you! John
1: runs ahead. Harry fires a pistol. Missing, John slows. A thug grabs the pistol, then beats Harry, picks his pockets, and scurries to the wagon as the other thug mounts his horse. They disappear into the darkness. John runs to Harry. He's a logger wearing the same boots, pants, even suspenders that John wears, but filthy. Hey, hey, you okay?
2: Get out of here! You ain't taking me, you crimp bastard! He
1: takes a swing at John. John leaves him, turning the corner toward a cluster of 20 men standing, chattering, and laughing. Vic sits on the edge of the boardwalk alone. As John approaches, some of the loggers size him up. They laugh and resume their banter. Harry stumbles around the corner with a bottle in his hand. He throws it at the group. One of the men throws it back. Harry spins to dodge it falls. Vic isn't amused as John sits beside him. Them guys are picking up drunks, throwing them in a wagon. Just crimps.
11: They'll sell them to shippers for labor. Don't fall asleep outside, you'll be fine. Well, it's about damn time.
1: Two hulking oxen round the corner, pulling a wagon, driven by Stan, a slight old man smoking a pipe. Slumping in the back of the wagon is Ty, skinny, nervous, face beaten, covered in mud.
12: Morning, boys. Go home, Harry. I got no home.
13: I gotta work, Stan.
12: Come on as a bucker or get.
13: Can't make no money, buckin' Stan!
12: Ah, you piss it away no matter what you got. Take it or leave it. What's your name, Shiny? John Vinton. Boys, it's a highball camp now, so we're moving fast. And like always, your pay depends on your appetite for stimulation. We need three choker setters, 10 a week. Three buckers, 15 a week. Vic, Ronnie, you're my high climbers.
1: He surveys the group. Two fat guys, a young boy and a few pipsqueaks suspect their
12: fates. You, 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 you and you. rest of you boys, try the mill. John makes the cut. The guys climb into
1: the wagon with their gear, some guys with rifles. Stan cracks the reins and they roll out. The crew of ruffians bounce up the bumpy, winding camp road. John stares up through the towering three hundred foot firs. I can walk faster than this. You know,
8: I'm ready to go. Why's camp so damn far?
14: Should be cutting all this. Sullivan don't own this land yet.
11: <laughs> you married? Yeah. Was talking to him. I know you are. He points
1: to John's wedding ring.
14: No. Who washes your clothes then? I do. About the dumbest thing I ever heard. Just gonna get dirty anyway.
1: Hey, get rid of that ring if you want to keep your finger. He holds up his left hand. His ring finger is gone. Chokers,
11: they're a bastard.
1: As the wagon rounds a turn, the camp appears in the distance. A group of five rough shacks built on log skids. Pete and a ragtag group of
7: men cluster around Walt, the mill boss. Everybody in? We got a lot of guys this morning. No doubt because you heard about the accident yesterday. It's a sad thing when guys get hurt, or in this case, die. The damn fools floated too close to the spillway, and when they fell in, they got sucked down. Well, that's enough of that. I need four pole monkeys and a pair of doggers on the saws. Pete steps forward.
3: I'll do it. That's inside the mill?
7: (laughs) Franklin, a veteran of the mill, stands up.
9: I'll help him out. I'm sick of that torture chamber, but it's better than falling in the water.
7: What's it pay? Every job in the mill, except for mine, of course, pays eight bucks a week plus room and board. A payday's Friday nights. All right? Who are my pole monkeys?
1: John and the guys stand in the middle of the camp, shuffling around while Stan unlocks his cabin. Across the trail, the dining hall rattles with loggers enjoying breakfast.
14: This camp's got the
1: best food.
14: Yeah,
11: why ain't we eating any of it? Ain't done any work yet.
1: Stan pulls out a small table, a chair, and a ledger. From around the corner comes a massive man, Iron Jaw. He walks with long strides, leaning forward, arms swinging, the abominable incarnation of Paul Bunyan. He is
13: the boss. Well, another superlative crew you got here, Stan. Real cream of the crop. (laughs) Some of the guys laugh nervously. Ty shuffles to the back of the group, hiding you. You're lucky we need a greaser, because that's all you're good for. Ty sniggers through a toothless grin.
1: Sounds good, boss.
14: I'm on board, you can count on Your
13: first month, if I'm not mistaken, gets you even with us. He takes the leisure from Stan. Nope. Looks more like six weeks.
14: I got in the hole a little bit.
13: Would you recommend drawing into the negative with us, then hightailing camp with intrigues on escaping your debt? No, sir. No Hmm? Let's make it eight weeks. Program is this. We go from can to can. Sun up till dark every dang day. You get the Lord's Day to yourself. Tell him rest. Boss leaves, goes into the dining hall.
12: All right, we got three, six, nine month terms. You can take a draw in cash against future pay on Fridays at 10% a week's interest. Boss returns, eating an enormous
13: T-bone like a drumstick. Well, that's the business. Here's the ecclesiasticals. These god dang dangerous woods will kill a man in ways you never could have dreamt but fire is one that kills all. If you're responsible for a fire, or if there are clues as to such, these mysterious woods shall orchestrate their revenge and a mysterious logging accident shall soon befall. Much along the lines of a curse. Not that I believe in that sort of thing, being a Freemason myself. Either way, one Wiffle Waffle dying's a lot better than a whole camp of Wiffle Waffles, don't you think? He's
1: looking at John. John looks around at the other guys. Is he serious? They're stone-faced, grave. It's real, all right. And with that, a kiss for luck. He walks up to each man, kissing
13: him on both cheeks. Some are familiar with it,
1: though no more comfortable.
13: Give Stan your firearm. You get it back Sundays. If you try to hide it, I'll find it and put it to good use. Fill out your contracts. Tulip sit in chokers. Boss wanders away.
1: Men pull out their rifles and pistols lining up to sign. The first guy hands over his revolver and signs with an X. Pete and Franklin walk toward a pair of huge carriage saws under one of several slapped-together barn-like shelters on the riverbank. Horses pull logs up from the river toward them. They walk along the wood tracks to the 15-foot vertical band saws driven by enormous overhead steam-powered flywheels at the far end.
9: Here she is.
1: They climb up to the carriage saw. Donnie works on the massive boiler below, trying to get a fire.
9: Donny boy, no fire yet? Dang wood's too wet.
1: Franklin jumps down to him. Pete watches from above.
9: Ain't hard to fix that.
1: He grabs a jug of oil and dumps it onto the stove. We're supposed to use oil to... Ah! Franklin throws more wood in and pokes it with an iron as sparks fly everywhere. It's every day to him. He thrusts a peavey at Pete.
9: Watch, and do likey Steam
1: rushes. Franklin moves levers back and forth the giant bandsaw starts spinning. Pete tries to follow. Franklin climbs up to the carriage and yanks the big lever, sending him gliding away toward the saw at a frightening pace, then back again. He motions for Pete to give it a try. Pete climbs up, braces his body, Pulls the lever, the carriage yanks his feet out from under him, and carries his crumpled body toward the saw. With Pete inches from the saw, the carriage jerks to a stop, cartwheeling him to the sawdust below. The carriage returns empty as Pete jumps up. <laughs> Woo! Franklin shakes his head, squatting down.
9: You gotta stay low! A crew
1: of four men push an enormous log up the ramp. Franklin and Donnie heave a log onto the other carriage. Franklin pulls the lever. I'm the wasting! A huge log slides up Pete's ramp. Pete and Donnie roll it into position with their PVs. Pete pretends to Ray. As Donnie watches, laughing, he pulls the lever and moves toward the saw, the force of the wood against the blade slowing the carriage. It's a relief, until the carriage reaches the end of the log with a jerk. He stumbles toward the blade, half off the platform. The carriage swoops back to the starting point. Pete hanging on, legs dragging. He gets up, laughing, starts the next cut. Oxen pull two wagons of guys up the precarious trail, through the deep woods like ants in tall grass. The road opens up to an apocalyptic scene. Acres of clear-cut wasteland. Trees left behind, broken snags, shattered stumps. At the end of the trail is the landing. The wagon rolls to a stop and the guys spill out. Rick! Get over The place is an unsettling outpost in a war of man against creation. Ronnie, where you in the center of the landing is a 200-foot-tall bare tree trunk called the Spar Pole. From the Spar Pole, cables run to three hulking contraptions. A smokestack, a boiler, a massive spool of cable, some levers. That's the steam donkey. Pee-wee tries to light a fire in the boiler. Right A rock sails in, stinging him in the back.
13: Pee-wee! I done thrown off three times today and you're still blowing smoke. Give me steam, you dang scobber John tries to help, breaking up kindling. What are you supposed to be doing? You said setting chokers. And you do that. If he's muffing up his job, let him muff it up. I don't need two guys muffing it up.
1: He leaves John, continuing the verbal assault. He picks up a rock, throws it at Ty, John looks around to see what to do next. Travis, a young teenage boy, and Sven, the Swede, sit on a ledge below the landing, out of Boss's sight. John appears, surveys the endless piles of fallen timber. Hey fellas, how about a quick lesson on setting chokers? Sven and Travis look at each other. They laugh and leave. Steam donkeys chug to life. John takes cues from Travis as he grabs a hook from his donkey's giant spool of cable. The two separate and we follow John. Patty, a portly Irishman, appears, dragging a wire from the steam donkey. Give me away when she's all set. Okay. Patty salutes. John climbs down from the steep and rugged terrain, pulling the heavy cable, fighting limbs and snags, stumbling, falling. He watches Travis swing from the cable like Tarzan, then scamper through the brush. John finds a log four feet around. He wraps the cable around, fumbles with the bell-housing noose, then figures it out. Fastens and pulls it tight. He steps away, then waves to Patty on the hillside. Patty waves back, pulls the wire. The steam donkey whistle blows. Sven yanks a lever, lurching the spool into gear, rolling in cable. The cable slips off the log and drags away. Hey, wait! He runs after the cable, but can't catch up. Paddy pulls the whistle wire again, shaking his head. Sven pulls the lever again, stopping the spool, pulls another. Shit! John stumbles up to the cable. He wraps it around his shoulder, starts back down the hill. As cable goes out, Sven suddenly pulls two levers, yanking in the cable. The cable yanks John back Mm. off his feet, drags him up the hill, through the brush, and over the limbs as he kicks and struggles. Finally wriggling free, Paddy laughs and shrugs. Sven pulls the lever again, and the other... yo John takes the cable and heads back over the side. John wraps the cable around the log, double-checking the grip jumps and looks across the valley to a huge tree falling, a lower trunk blown up by dynamite. John scrambles away, then waves to Patty on the hillside. Patty pulls the wire. A log yanks and tumbles up the hill, crashing and crashing, destroying everything in his path. John follows it up the hill, Boss is waiting,
13: a PV jammed into the log. Dad blame it. Don't waste time on this little skye. Six feet or bigger, I told you. All right, sorry. He pushes the
1: huge timber back down the hill toward John. John lunges as it crashes by.
13: Sorry, sorry, he says.
1: John takes the cable and heads back over the side. He twists back through the brush, finding a bigger log, this one easily eight feet thick. He fastens the cable, walks away, waves to Patty. The choker wrenches the massive log and hurls it up the hill. A yard dog unwraps the cable from the log, hands it back to John. Harry appears, chopping limbs with abandon. John disappears over the ledge again, gasping. Yard dogs roll the log to the skids, where they attach it and three others to another cable, pulled by 12 oxen. The oxen driver cracks his whip, the oxen jerk, jerk again, moving the logs down the skid road. Tie greases the skids with a long-handled broom and bucket of kitchen grease, dodging the moving logs and oxen hooves. Vic and another faller saw the base of a huge tree as Harry lays in the undercut, pretending to be asleep. Wake me when she's ready, you slow sons of. hurry <laughs> Harry jumps and runs. Vic waits. He saws twice more, and the tree falls. John stumbles along the ridge as the tree smashes down, only a few feet away. Son of a bitch. The oxen team arrives to another group of yard dogs, who unhook the logs and roll them over the ledge, sending them crashing down the hill into the river below, where two pole monkeys prance around floating logs, working to untangle and form them into a raft while avoiding the falling timber. Later, a lone deer wanders through the decimation, lost as the din of the landing rages above. John digs in the mud under another huge timber, making a hole for the cable to wrap around. The deer approaches, stops, one leg against Patty's wire. John, under the timber, fastens the choker. Boss fires a shotgun into the air, signaling the end of the day. The deer jumps and kicks, legs tangled in the wire, triggering the whistle. Hearing the whistle, Sven pulls the lever. As John stands up, the timber lurches, kicking him sideways. The front of the log catches, swinging the back end around toward John, knocking him flat but slides up onto a stump and over him as he gasps, writhing in the mud. The deer watches John's timber crash up the hill. Patty throws a rock at the deer. John coughs and wheezes, catching his breath. He rolls to his back, looks into the darkening sky. John pulls himself up, waves, trudges back up the hill. John appears from the ledge below, exhausted. He's battered, covered in dirt and sap. All is quiet. Most of the guys are in the wagons. Travis approaches. You're one slow, clumsy son of a bitch. You know that? John inhales the steak, potatoes, corn, beans, biscuits, and gravy like he hasn't eaten in days among the raucous group. McCormick's is rigged, damn it. A couple of other guys half listen. As soon as you win a
14: couple hands, a gal comes around and cozies right up. And that's real nice, except while you're peeking at her tatties, turns out she's peeking at your cards. The whore's on the take.
11: Well, don't let her
14: see your cards. I didn't know she was a whore. They all whores, you dumb shit.
7: (laughs) Take it from him. His sister's one.
1: The bunkhouse is a cluttered mess of hanging tools and clothes, awkwardly posed nudie pictures, a pot-bellied stove, and crude bunks with tattered wool blankets or animal skins. John scatters cedar boughs across his bunk, furthest from the stove next to the door.
11: That all you got? It'll have to do.
1: Take a draw
14: and buy some blankets, for Christ's sakes.
11: No draws for me. Amen to that.
1: We'll get you a deer. John plops down on his bunk, wrenching off his boots, then his socks, exposing a mess of bloody blisters. (sighs)
2: Soak
11: your boots in a bucket of vinegar to soften them up. makes them heavy as hell, but... They won't give you blisters. Now, once those ones heal, it takes quite a while, because they're in wet boots all day.
1: John awakes, breathing steam and shivering to a chorus of snores. He rolls over, trying to fall back asleep, to no avail. He tosses and turns, finally sitting up, exhausted. Through gaps in the plank door... John sees boss hold his shotgun into the air.
13: Get to the getting while the getting's good. Let's go.
1: John wraps his feet in rags. He takes his boots from a bucket of vinegar, pulls them on in agony. The guys stand in the smorgasbord line, loading their huge plates high with flapjacks, eggs, steak, and potatoes. A logger pours coffee from a gigantic pot. Bapi, the Sikh cook, slings it out as fast as he can. Nora, Lee, and the kids pray over a meager breakfast as Betsy hangs laundry outside.
0: And we pray for Papa that you would protect him in his work.
12: Just as our Christ rambled the wild, so go we, to face the legions of the archangel, the witch of the winds. She calls up her crew of thirteen winches to swirl and strike with a gale spell, to twist your pure and silent giants against us. Be our ally, O Lord. Shield us from the mocking torrents. Sharpen our wits to defend against the foolishness of old Jonah lest we be swallowed whole by this wilderness, our merciless judge. We are but naked babes in this thicket. And so we gratefully accept the manna, this coal that fires our labor, for we wrestle your prodigal land, and we, with your help, shall subdue it, as is our destiny in your great name. Amen. 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 They all sit down and dive in.
1: John runs to set a choker on a log. He reaches down to thread the cable, finding the gray, sagging face of a dead logger. He jumps back, looks around, shaken. He sets the choker, waves to Patty, and the log is pulled free. Hey boss, I found a guy down
13: there. You found a guy. Yeah, he got hit. <laughs> Betcha that's old Williams. They walk to the edge of the landing, seeing Travis.
0: It's Williams!
13: Bring him up quick. It's that dadgum curse again. Better go thank the old flapdoodle. Him dying's freed up a slot for you. Pee-wee! Ring the bell! Travis has cleared the branches away from the body,
1: revealing the utter liquefication of his legs. John arrives, shudders.
13: I thought he quit.
1: Take a sight there. They haul him up to the landing. All the guys gather around, quiet. Sven and John arrive with the body. A couple guys bring a ready-made coffin and place it next to him. Sven and John lay the body in the box.
12: Okay, fellas, I'll say a few words, then we gotta get back to work. Almighty God, we pray for mercy on Abe Williams' soul. May Abe find comfort in the great spar pole of heaven the cross of Christ. May he find kinship with faithful Noah, who fell the mighty gopher wood that saved us all, in the company of boss Moses' crew, who brought down the acacia for your tabernacle, the wood that never rots. Just, Just a lowly, lowly timber man was he, but, but his life he gave in his labor, labor and no greater an end there, there be. be. Amen. 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 The guys go back to work on their stations. The donkeys
1: start back up. John stares off. Hey! John jumps, grabs the cable, and slides back down the hill. Sawdust flies. Steam engines and blades shoot through wood. Offbearers stack the planks. Horses pull through the mud as a giant log plows through the water like a surfacing submarine. Pete runs the carriage saw, sweat dripping down his face as he slides back and forth, cutting the massive logs into cords. On par with Franklin now, but antsy. He's already batty from the monotony. An off-bearer walks by, waits for Pete's carriage to finish the cut, offering a bottle of whiskey. Don't mind if I do. He grabs the bottle. Pulls the lever, slides away, takes a swig, then a guzzle, pulls another lever with one hand, tosses the bottle back in a fluid motion. He's right at home. Oh, who
3: will come and go with me? I am bound for the prize.
1: John watches as Stan doles out cash to the last in a line of guys, marking their draws in the ledger, pistol in his
12: belt. All right, Patty. Twenty-two. Puts you more than two hundred in the hole, you know. Most guys are deep in the negative. John has his first ten bucks. Vic has twenty bucks. That's five months' work. He only got a six-month term. Nah. Oh, he will be richer than you tomorrow.
1: You'll see. Patty spins away, jumps into the wagon with the others.
0: Let's roll.
12: No town for you tonight? No, sir. Tomorrow. <laughs> Smart man. Stan closes the ledger, picks up the cash box. So Williams start a fire? <laughs> don't run your cable over a rock face. He gets real hot and sparky. Did boss kill him? He goes into his cabin. I don't know, son. Why don't you ask boss? Travis
1: tumbles out onto the boardwalk, dazed, rubbing his face, losing his balance. An ugly whore bursts out as he falls. She reaches around inside his coat for money, finds nothing. Worthless. Kicks him and retreats into the bar in a huff. John jumps off the Sullivan wagon in the distance, sees Travis. Hey, Travis, you okay? She dragged me. I'm alright. He shoves John aside, stumbles away. Across the street, Pete appears. Whistles to John. John
6: arrives. Got all your limbs, I see. Let's go find a banker.
3: Banks are closed Sunday.
6: John heads down the street. Pete follows. That's our only day off. I want to check the plan. I heard bankers know how it all works, because they do loans. Maybe we can get something set up now, so we can get on schedule. The church.
3: For a banker? No. There.
1: He nods toward McCormick's. John hesitates. Come on. They walk toward the saloon when a stunning woman appears from the opposite corner. She is Juliet. She crosses the street to McCormick's, where two bankers and a policeman fawn over her. Pete's eyes are locked on her as she moves in a mingling of burlesque and talking shop, leaning into a banker, whispering something. Standing back to consider their words like a business partner. They each kiss her hand. She curtsies, disappears into McCormick's. Pete and John pass the men. John doubles back.
6: Uh, Hey, any of you guys with uh, one of the banks here in town?
1: (laughs) A logger asking about a bank. One leaves. I'm with First
2: National there.
8: You all right here with these fellows?
2: Sure, sure. Make it quick. I'm late for Sunday supper. Well, my brother and I have some land, and from what we heard... Pete peers into McCormick's for Juliet.
6: Pete! He shuffles over. Around 600 bucks gets us a basic logging operation. Horses, steam donkey, and a camp, that's right? Sure, give or take. Well, we put down $300, uh, get a loan for the rest. First run pays it all back, plus labor and 1000 bucks in profit. Does that sound about right?
2: That's in the neighborhood, depending on the market. Where is your land?
3: It's around here. That ain't important.
2: Well, if the timber is accessible, your figures work. One question, if I may. Sure. How will you acquire $300? Well, we're saving up $500. I'm, I'm sending 100 back home to my family and... Oh, $500 it is. How long to save up this $500? 6 months. Uh, some advice, if I may. Go back home, to your family, wherever they are. The brothers scoff. Save yourself the heartache. Come on. Or abide by this fact in Aberdeen, the year of our Lord, 1893. You might be paid $500, but there is no way in hell you have $500 in six months working for Sullivan. It's natural law, boys, and nature shall take its course. Always does.
3: Well, that's a gloomy way to look at it, sir. You never know what might.
2: No. No. No, if we don't squander it, it's right there. Boys, best of luck to you.
6: He leaves, crossing the street. Hey, sir, thanks. I'm John Vinton, that's my brother Pete. Uh, We'll see you again soon.
2: All right then, so long.
6: We'll prove you're wrong. John returns to Pete, determined. It's right there, in black and white. We'll have 500 bucks, then we get started. If he doesn't want to loan us the money, somebody else will.
3: Let's just stay realistic.
6: No, let's just do what we said we'd do. Now, I told Nora six months, not a day later. Just like you said, we gotta be top of the pile. Only way we're gonna do that is if we don't go the way of all the rest of these monkeys.
1: The Sullivan wagon rolls up to hoots and hollers. All right, I hear you.
3: Speaking of monkeys.
1: See you next week. They shake hands. John runs for the wagon. Pete looks at McCormick's door. John catches up, jumps into the wagon. How'd you do, Patty? Still drunk? Patty pulls out his empty pockets like a clown.
0: Ah, my pockets are empty. But my heart overflows in the love of Miss Vi- Viola.
1: No, Violet. Me
14: too. Ah,
0: that's right. Violet.
14: Me too. Should
1: give us a bulk rate. <laughs> Pete looks back at McCormick's door to the departing wagon. Back to McCormick's. John lowers a rifle barrel. A buck stumbles, blood seeping from a hole in his neck. Vic gives him a pat. Nice shot. Nora reads John's letter to Sarah and Annabelle.
4: And we are progressing in our pursuit of knowledge in the great timber industry.
1: John swings around on the cable, scurries down a log. He sweeps the choker around, jumps up onto a stump, waves to Patty. Up goes the log. The work sometimes
4: requires more courage than I expected, but I'm learning how to lower the requirement for courage by being a smarter worker. I often think of my sweet little ones, and of you, my precious Nora.
1: John watches Vic saw the top off a tree, 200 feet up, swaying back and forth like a metronome. The tree steadies. He jumps up on top, sitting unsecured. He bites into an apple. John laughs, shaking his head. He sets the choker, waves to Patty.
4: I'm so often filled with excitement for you to experience this majestic place, though tempered by our distance. I shall always keep you in my prayers. My angels.
1: Betsy enters.
4: Also, please give my warm regards to Mr. and Mrs. Martin. With all my love, Papa and John.
1: Any money in there? Nora lurches up. Sarah knows what's coming, so she heads outside, pulling Annabelle. Nora goes to a basket of ugly apples on the counter. She picks one up, cutting out the rot.
5: He hasn't been paid yet. It sounds like things are going well, Mother. What's he going to say? I'll believe it when I see it.
1: Nora sends the apple through the masher.
5: I'm sure you won't. I watch love
0: die, and not let love hurt. I've been the man with the gun and the innocent one on the run. I pull the trigger on the safest bed. I look the devil in the eye. Smell the whiskey on his breath My
1: chances. Pete sits on the edge of his bed, looking around. Hansi, the bunkhouse is empty, other than Donnie, who lays on the other side of the room, writing under lamplight. Pete jumps up, moves his bunk, swings a loose board in the wall, reaches up and pulls out a roll of cash.
3: Hey, Pete, can you spell?
1: Pete jumps, but Donnie didn't see his hiding spot.
3: Yeah, Skinner, I could spell. Why?
1: Pete walks to Donnie, seeing some coins in the open envelope. How do
3: you spell yearning? I'm writing a post for home.
1: Oh, yeah? For your girl? Pete nabs the letter. Donnie half tries to get it back.
3: And you, my sweet Rebecca, I think of you always, um... Yearning.
1: That's where I'll say I'm yearning. Pete hands the letter back.
3: H-O-R-N-Y. See you later.
1: He tucks a bill into the envelope, then turns and leaves. Franklin sits around a large table, playing poker. Juliet is there, leaning against the banister, surveying the room, within earshot of the table. Pete enters, takes stock.
9: Hey, there he is, Pete!
1: Pete sees him, gives a nod and wanders over, dipping his toe in the water.
9: Here's the man with the plan, I call him. Take a seat, why don't you? Sure, why not?
1: What's
3: the game, fellas? Red Dog, aces Wild.
1: The cards go around. Pete sizes up his opponents. All the other players but a card shark have paltry winnings.
9: Well, it ain't my night, that's for damn sure.
1: Franklin folds, collects what's left of his few coins. Other players fold. The card shark hesitates, then folds. Pair of fives.
12: Shit, he's bluffing.
1: Pete pulls in the kitty with a little too much swagger. Hog-killing time. The card shark and Juliet lock eyes. He nods. Juliet goes to the bar, takes a bottle and glass. She slides over to Pete, pours a whiskey for him while cards flip around.
10: A little fuel for the fire, honey, on the house.
1: Well then,
3: don't mind if I do.
1: He throws it back, feigning gullibility. Taking her hand, he stands. Pete Vinton, my lady. A pleasure. A real connection, somewhere beneath Pete's suspicion and her duties. He sits, she lingers, standing behind him, dragging a finger along his shoulders.
3: Miss, I'd be so honored if you'd take my side here.
1: He pulls a chair around. Card Shark studies.
3: Thank you,
10: but I prefer to stand. You
3: know, it's getting late. I think I'm going to close up shop and, uh...
1: Another nod from the card shark.
10: Oh, don't be that way. The night is young.
1: She sits, slides closer. Pete shoves back his chair. I'll make up your damn minds. Deal. Pete has a huge pile of winnings. Card shark and the others are broke. Pair
13: of sixes. Two pairs.
3: Full house. Son of a shit. Come on, he's cheating. <laughs> and with that vile accusation, fellas, I must dismiss myself.
13: Pete
1: gets up, fills his pockets. The rancher pulls a gun. Put it away. Juliet scoots away. She's seen this before. You guys in this together? Take care, easy. Pete pushes a stack over to the rancher.
3: Here, you broke even.
1: The rancher puts the gun down to reach for the money. Pete grabs it.
3: Hey, Settled. Good. Was a pleasure, fellas. I'll see you around.
1: Pete follows Juliet up the stairs and catches up.
3: Hey, you're my good luck charm tonight. What's your name? Juliet. Juliet. Well, that's beautiful.
1: Ted the Bouncer sees Pete from downstairs. You!
2: Pete rolls his eyes. You ain't ordered yet.
10: It's all right. He's with me.
2: Okay, Miss Juliet. Beg pardon. He leaves.
3: You're
10: not a... One of the girls... No, honey. I'm a lot of things, but I ain't a whore.
1: A logger emerges from a whore's room, prances past, and grabs Juliet's rear with both hands. (laughs) She gives him a reflexive push. Pete pounces, shoving him hard into the wall.
0: Hey, whoa! Sorry,
3: sorry. (laughs) What are you doing up here, then?
1: She opens her door, revealing an elegant, upscale bedroom and private bath. Pete enters, his skepticism giving way to curiosity and desire.
10: I do a few things for the place, and some partner's working out of here.
1: She hands him the whiskey. He takes it, smells it.
3: That card shark?
10: Yeah, he's one of them. But he's getting soft, gets to drinking, forgets the signals. Didn't fool you, though. You're smart.
1: He throws back the whiskey.
3: Fellas still fall for that one. Over and over, some of them.
10: Even when somebody tells them the trick, they don't believe it. They're so damn lonesome.
1: She slides onto the bed, adjusts her stockings.
10: How long are you
3: going to do this?
10: Oh, well, as long as it takes. My folks brought me out here, but they're both past. My brothers are in the Hawaiian Islands saving souls. Woman's got to survive, doesn't she?
1: Pete walks to her. She stands up, walks to him. He puts a hand on her waist, pulling her closer.
10: Ain't you lonesome? I got plenty of male companionship. Mr. Hamilton, Mr. Jackson, Mr. Franklin. They don't say much either,
3: which is nice.
1: She sees the gun stuck in Pete's belt and backs away. He takes the bait, the frail fawn.
3: Don't worry, I'm just a businessman. Gonna have a big timber outfit.
10: Yes, the man with a plan. Bully for you. Hope you understand you won't be in here so long. Gives the wrong
3: impression. Course it does. You are right hospitable, Miss Juliet.
1: He puts a hand on her waist, kisses her cheek, He tries for another. She turns.
10: (laughs) Much obliged. Anytime.
1: He concedes. That's all he's gonna get, but it's enough. He checks his pockets for his poke. It's all there. He glides along the mezzanine and down the stairs. He walks through the crowd, keeping a close eye on the card shark who sits at the bar watching him. Pete and John ride in Old and Joe's small steam-powered boat up the slow-moving river through a canyon of fir trees.
3: We're close, up around that bend.
1: They skid the boat up to a gentle, grassy slope. Straight ahead is a wall of dense, massive Douglas firs. This is it.
3: This is it. Starts at that little sandbar down there, goes around this bend and beyond it, about a quarter mile and she's a full mile deep, and it's just like this, the whole thing. I walked it.
1: They ascend the grassy hill and arrive in the shadow of the towering giants. John looks up and around, up and down the river. He walks to Pete, arms open wide. The brothers embrace.
3: I told you. Hey, Joe, would you bring that hatchet?
1: Joe hands Pete the hatchet. This is your land. Pete reaches high, chopping into the bark.
3: Yep, we're gonna start here. Then Johnny's gonna homestead another plot, and we're gonna log that one, too. And then what? And then we do it again, and again, and again. That's what.
6: You rape the land like Sullivan? No. No, we'll pay a good wage. Deal fairly.
3: You folks cut trees. You know what we're talking about.
12: We cut the forest to save it. Sullivan destroys everything. We will protect it from Sullivan and others like him. What do you mean? Joe raises
1: his eyebrows. We don't want trouble with you folks.
3: I see it. You treat it like we do a farm. That makes sense. We'll we'll care for the land and deal square. We can work together and get Sullivan out of here. Maybe.
12: Time figures
1: truth. The boys shove the boat offshore.
3: Yep, this is our ace in the hole. Might even get there faster than we thought.
1: Sooner the better, as far as I'm concerned. They jump aboard. Looking back to admire the four-foot V for Vinton, Pete chopped into the tree. Betsy, Nora, and the kids stand outside the dry goods store. Nora hands the grocer a crate of applesauce jars. Lee appears in the distance across the street, sweeping out the front door of his dying shoe store. The grocer gives Betsy a few coins as Lee watches, turns, and walks inside, ashamed.
4: Girls, you want some cherries?
1: She grabs a handful, tries to put them into a bag, but she sees double, triple, and everything goes black. Nora faints, knocking over the box, spilling cherries everywhere. Betsy runs over. Nora sits at the dining room table with a hot pot of water under her face and a towel over her head. It's probably something you ate, don't you think?
5: That's probably it.
1: Betsy jumps up and paces. Uh,
5: My lord, what am I going to do?
1: John settles into a nice deerskin bed. He stares at the ceiling. Nora lies in bed, smelling John's shirt rubbing her belly, while Sarah lies next to her. She looks at each of her four angels, smiles, goes to the dresser, and starts a letter. John awakes, then turns to see Boss standing in the doorway, aiming the shotgun at him. Boss grins and leaves.
13: Get to the getting, while the getting's good!
1: Pete runs the saw, cutting a log's last board. He looks back to where the logs normally line up. It's empty. Nobody there. Pete arrives at the edge of the pond. Walt joins.
12: What's going on? Boom's busted. So
14: everything's loose and floating down there. Damn
7: it. We said just gonna start bringing them over one by one, then maybe we could get a boat. A boat? That'll take all damn day. We got a raft coming in an hour. Didn't you check the boom last night? Gotta check it every night. Busted right here on the beach, too, damn it.
3: The rest of the boom's still together. Why don't you tie a line to the end and haul it in? Run your line along the dam, and she'll wrap them right up.
6: Yeah,
11: but the end log's right over the spillway.
3: Then don't fall in.
1: The pole monkeys look at Walt for a decision, hoping for clemency from what Pete is suggesting. Good idea. Donnie! Donnie was watching from the mill. He comes running.
7: Go get that long lead line from the shed. You tell Franklin to bring down two more horses.
1: They walk to the edge of the dam. The rush of water flowing through the spillway...
7: All right, get down to the dam and tie up that log. Donnie arrives,
1: rolling a large spool of thick rope. The pole monkeys look at each other, tentative.
7: Hey, it's you two dipshits that let the boom come loose. You two dipshits are gonna tie that line and bring it back. We else you can hit the trail. Both of you. They look at each other.
3: Off, we'll do it. Pete grabs a pole from one of them. But we're getting two weeks of your pay, got it? They nod, relieved. Come on, kid. Grab that line. It's pig-killing time.
1: Pete picks up the end of the rope, leads Donnie along the narrow top of the cement and stone dam, planting the pole into the water like a walking stick, holding the rope in his other hand. Donnie follows, pulling the rope from the spool as the pole monkeys unroll it on shore. Walt watches, uneasy. Pete arrives at the log. A rush of the spillway as loud as a freight train. A log boom is on the other side of a stray log, a four-foot jump from the dam.
3: I'll jump across and tie it up. Give me some slack.
1: Donnie pulls more rope, watching his balance, looking down at the gushing spillway 20 feet below. Pete jumps across to the stray log, then step to the boom. Pete dashes down from the boom to the end and takes a look. He jumps down to his belly, hugging the log, trying to fish the rope under and around from one hand to the other. But the log is too thick. He gets back up, motions to Donnie to come over. Donnie hesitates, then jumps across with less grace than Pete, into the boom, approaching.
3: Can't get around, her. I'll go under and hand you the rope. Pete slides
1: down into the pond with a reflex of gas from the icy water. Donnie gets on his belly. Pete takes a deep breath, goes underwater, swimming under the log, climbing and kicking against the spillway current. Donnie's hand reaches down into the water on the other side. Pete pushes the rope up to him. Donnie grabs it, and Pete swims back under, pulling the rope. Pete surfaces as Donnie sits on the log, tying a knot. Pete grabs the log and tries to pull himself up, but it spins. Donnie panics. Whoa. Pete treads water, looking toward the shore where the rope has been tied to the horses. He grabs it, pulling himself to the stray log as rain falls. Donnie finishes the knot pulls the rope to check it. He looks at Pete, struggling to climb up on the stray log.
3: Hang on! I'm alright. I'll climb the rope. Donnie,
1: Donnie runs down the boom toward Pete. Worried, Pete pulls the rope hard, climbing up. But this swings the log toward the dam, away from Donnie. Donnie hesitates, then jumps to the log in a panic. He overshoots it, hurtling forward, reaching and clawing, racking his head on the edge of the dam. Kid, hey! Walt and the pole monkeys watch. Franklin approaches. Don't see him. They run toward the dam. Pete swims along the log to where Donnie jumped. Donnie's gone. Pete plunges his face into the water, seeing Donnie sink down, a cloud of blood around his head. Pete pops up, take a breath, and dives down into the murky water. He swims for Donnie. Beneath them is the spillway opening, A three-foot-square channel through the dam, pulling them down. He reaches out for Donnie's leg, but he's too far away. Pete takes another big stroke, just as the current catches Donnie, yanking him as if pulling by his belt, sucking him into the channel, cracking the back of his head against the dam wall before swallowing him into darkness. Pete tries to turn back toward the surface, but the current is too strong. He's past the point of no return. He turns back down to the channel, swimming forward as fast as he can. The water gets darker and darker as the swift current throws Pete into the channel. All is black as he shoots through the dam. The spillway spits Pete out into the river. Water rushes, tumbling him as he coughs and chokes. The rapids push him to a wide rock. He grabs on, climbs up, gasping, packing water. As rain pours down, he looks around, seeing Donnie face down in the water, Donnie! the rapids holding his Donnie! body against a rock. Donnie! Pete slides off the rock into the rapids, fighting the water. Carrying him toward Donnie, he gathers his footing and wades over to him.
3: Donnie!
1: Pete hugs Donnie, leaning against the rock, barely holding a book as the water rushes around them. Donnie's already blue, the gash in his head gaping wide, not bleeding. He's dead. Franklin approaches, extending a pole. In the distance, horses pull the line, dragging the logs to shore. Back to business. Pete pokes the smoldering fire in the boiler with one hand, holding a whiskey bottle with the other. He takes a swig, spits whiskey on the poles, igniting a flame, takes another swig, stands up, and hurls the bottle in with a crash and a fireball. Franklin approaches. Walt says it was a good idea you had. Pete throws some wood onto the boiler. You don't say.
3: Well... Bully for me.
1: He slams the boiler door.
9: Gotta play catch-up now, Bill.
1: Outside, Walt signals an off-bearer into the mill, then winds his arm at Pete to say, let's get moving. Pete starts the saw, gives Walt a sarcastic salute. Pete buttons up a fresh shirt, combs his hair, moves his bunk, swings the loose board, pulls out a roll of cash, and another... The whole stash. Pete is back at the card table, sweat dripping, looking at his cards, broke. The other players shift in their chairs, glancing from their cards to the huge bet on the table. What's it gonna be, Lucky? Some patrons sidle up to watch. Pete reaches into his boot, pokes around, pulls out a piece of paper, wipes his brow.
3: I'll see you, 20.
1: He drops the deed on the table.
8: No, no, cash only. Damn homesteaders.
2: The banker picks up the deed, inspects it. You sure you want to do this? Call, call. It's a prime piece, worth a hell of a lot more than 20. If you got the cards, fellows, I'd stick. I don't.
1: All right, flush.
2: A logger puts down a pair of jacks.
3: Full house. What you got, Lucky? Four ices. Piggy.
1: He grabs the deed, slides it back into his boot, gathers the kitty, takes the last swig from his bottle. Sit down. Game's cash only and you was broke. Pete ignores him, filling his pockets. You took the bet. Lucky. The big fisherman gets up, pushes Pete back down into his chair.
3: I said sit! Somebody ought to hose you down, fishy. Pete knocks the fisherman's
1: arm down and lands a jab as he spins away, falling out of the chair. Pete's cash tumbles and the logger quickly snatches it up. Pete gets to his feet in time to feel the full force of a haymaker from the fisherman. Knocking his gun to the floor, big fisherman pounces on planting his knee on Pete's chest, grabbing his hair, pinning his head against the floor. A logger grabs the gun. Pete can't reach the fisherman's face, and he can't get any leverage for a good body punch. Ted arrives in time to see the logger with the gun, and the other logger stuffing Pete's money into his pockets. That's
0: my money! You again. All right. Get up.
1: Get up! The big fisherman is stronger than Ted, so he pays no mind. Juliet arrives, nodding to Ted. Ted gets the cue. Pete's with her. He grabs the gun. Give me that. No guns in here. Ted points the gun at the big fisherman. Let him up. That his money? Pete gets up, bleeding from a broken nose, and the logger hands Pete the cash. You win fair and square? Yeah,
3: yeah, fair and square.
2: And he disputes. Was a bet. They took it. He points the gun at Pete. I'm keeping this.
1: They shake their heads, leaving the table, grumbling. Juliet leads Pete away and up the stairs.
10: Let's take care of that beak. You can't trust a man cause he'll just let you down.
0: Crooked and twisted, we grow from the ground. From dust we came in, dust we shall return. From dust we came in, dust we shall return.
1: pulls a bloody handkerchief from his nose, black under both eyes.
3: How's it feeling? Like I got a chipmunk living up there. How much you pull in on a Saturday night? Enough. Doubt that, come on, I won't tell how much.
10: 20, maybe 30. You got a way of kicking up dirt, don't you?
3: Pete walks toward her, laying on the charm. That's pretty good dinero. Ain't you missing out on some earnings? Being out here with me? She stands
1: up, brushes off her dress.
3: Yep. Now that you mention it. Oh, come on. Take the night off. See what it's like for the rest of us.
10: I see what it's like every night. Doesn't look so good to me.
3: I could give you a happy life. Folks like us, we gotta get on that high road while we still can.
10: Of all the brush shapes and chiselers who've
3: proffered that up, by
10: God, you might even believe it. You're damn right I do.
3: I've been a fool, Juliet. Probably the biggest fool you ever saw. But now I got enough to start up our outfit. Our land is perfect, right on the river, and like you said, I'm smart. And my brother, he's even smarter than me, I'm telling you, we are running Sullivans out of here.
1: A drip of blood creeps down from his nose. He brushes it off. Juliet heads to the door as Pete shoves the rag back up his nose. Mama
3: Hen wants you back in the coop.
1: He pokes around her makeup table, drawing her over.
10: So, now you got your poker booty. You're taking the
3: high road.
1: Pete turns toward her. They're face to face again.
3: Yep. Come with me, why don't you? Be done with all this subtlety and mischief.
1: She brushes his hair back.
3: You are a
10: beautiful sight.
1: She's hesitant, still playing her game. Then joins him in the passion. He swings her onto the bed in a passionate kiss. Pete lies on his back, eyes heavy, while Juliet faces him, stroking his bare chest. His eyelids fall. He blinks, shakes his head, tipping Juliet. The game is still afoot.
10: You got somewhere to be?
1: Nope. She turns to her night table, sprays perfume on her neck.
10: Well, I could get used to these Saturday nights.
1: In one fluid motion, she takes a quiet, deep breath, opens another perfume bottle, dabs it on the breast of her nightgown, and turns over to Pete, mounting him, kissing his forehead with her breasts in his face. He caresses her back, she kisses, and writhes until his arms go limp. He's out. She rolls away, pulling off the nightgown, exhaling. Naked, she dabs more ether on the nightgown, holds it against his mouth. Now he's really out. She throws on clothes, rummages through his pockets, picks up the bills on the bed, gathering cash and coins in both hands, dumps out her laundry basket, pulls open a false bottom, revealing a significant stash. Adding Pete's money.
10: Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your
4: lips.
1: Juliet opens her door, walks to the rail, scans the floor for Camilla, spots her. Juliet nods. Ted! Ted! Ted appears. Camilla motions upstairs. Ted thunders in.
10: Chauncey's given 20 ahead. Bring me back 10, split 10 with the house.
1: I'll bring you five.
10: I will take him myself then. <sighs>
1: Pete lets out a reflexive moan. All right, damn. She tucks the sheet under him.
10: Keep his face down, KC Chucks.
1: Ted picks him up. She gives him Pete's clothes and boots, opens the door, and out he goes like a bag of trash. John walks in as Ty weaves a yarn about last night at McCormick's. It's a big kitty, too. Probably 500 bucks. Then he pulls out his gun, and he plugs one of them. What's this one
14: all about? Another scrape at McCormick's. Some might even be true. Hey, I was there. Then the crabber starts kicking him. I ran over trying to break it up. Then Big Ted comes over and gives me a hand. Then that card-spine slag Juliet takes him up to a room. He ain't no dude. Just a sore in the mill. I figured she's after his poke.
1: Dumb bastard. John suspects this is Pete. Anger wells up.
14: Sure enough, couple hours later, down he comes on Ted's shoulder. Buck nude. I cold. Ted says he's drunk, but he plum washy. Probably sold him to the docks just for his poke. Guess his luck ran out.
1: <laughs> John gets up. What was his name?
14: I don't know. Father Sawyer always calls him
1: the man
14: with a plane.
1: When are you headed down?
14: Two minutes.
1: Stan wipes his glasses. Stretches his back. Stan,
14: stand you up?
12: Johnny, what's going on? I need a draw. All I can get. All right, come on in. Ain't like you. Won't ask, though. As of yesterday, you got 95.
6: You want all of it? And a draw for another 95.
12: All right. I'll bring it out if I got it. Boys, Pert near clean me out. John waits as Boppy rolls up in the wagon. Stan appears,
1: money in hand.
12: Well, you done a good job saving it up. Thanks. He's a come, he's a go, I suppose.
1: (laughs) John and Boppy roll into town as a bell rings in the small church down the block. Parishioners filing in. Thanks. John jumps out and runs toward the docks. John approaches a dock worker. They exchange words. John hands him a bill. The dock worker points down the pier to where a small ramshackle steamer is moored. Ten poor loggers lie tied up in the bow as one loudmouthed captive babbles. John approaches.
6: Might as well let me go now. First time you untie me, I'm jumping overboard anyways. Can't do this to a white man.
1: On the far side of the heap is Pete lying on his side in the sheet. Semi-conscious. Vomit on his face and chest. Pete! He jumps into the boat. A crimp appears from beneath the deck. Climbing up, facing away. It's Chauncey. I told you to shut your mouth, you. He turns. Sees John. Hey! He pulls out a pistol. John backs up. That's my brother. Injury to rescue him,
2: I suppose. I'll pay whatever you paid for him. I take a risk for my freight, you know. Even for that mangy bastard. Lost profits, too. How much you want, then? How much you got? Come on!
1: What'd you give for him? I'll double it. How much you got? John looks at his brother, his eyes sliding open. 185 It's all I got. Here, you let him go, I'll give it to you. Well, that's a deal. He pulls Pete's head up by the hair, jolting him. He's off dead anyway. Chauncey puts his gun into his belt, reaches behind Pete's back, unties his hands. Pete gets his bearings, gives John an alert wink to say, I'm all right. John looks back, confused. Chauncey stands back up. Pete feigns weakness again. John gets the idea. All right, here you go. He can untie his own feet. John approaches with the money, apprehensive. Chauncey takes it, pulls the gun back out. Thank you very much, and welcome aboard, you dumb shit. He keeps the gun trained on John. What's going on? Sit down, or I'll shoot you both. Come on, I paid you! Then John lunges, grabbing the gun as Pete sweeps his legs around, cutting Chauncey down. John and Chauncey wrestle around. Three bullets pierce the hull, and water pours in. John's money flutters. The captives use their tied feet to pull in all the bills they can. Pete hobbles up, bounds over to Chauncey, then jumps, straddling the crimp's neck with his roped feet, bare naked, strangling him. John pushes Chauncey's arm down as he fights, struggling to pry Chauncey's fingers off the gun handle. Finally, he pulls the gun free. All right, I got it. John stands up, pointing the gun at Chauncey as Pete gets off his throat, but he's dead. The bow tilts down as the boat takes on water. Pete unties his ankles. He scans the deck for his boots as John tosses over Pete's clothes picking up a few bills. Hey,
7: we're sinking.
1: Where's my money? He looks around. I'll leave you here. Where is it? Pete finds his boots, reaches inside one, finding the deed. He puts it back. One logger reveals a bill. Another one slides his boot aside, uncovering two bills. Half dressed, Pete starts to untie the captives. The water is almost over the bow. Wait. Johnny. Don't untie him till I get all my money.
7: Come on! We're going down! Give him the damn money!
1: Water rushes over the bow, filling it up fast. Loudmouth gets hysterical, fighting to stand. Bills float up from beneath and between his legs. Oh, shits. John grabs the cash, and they rush to untie the captives, getting everyone onto the dock as the boat lists and capsizes. Chauncey's body floating away. The captives scatter into town while Pete sits, buttoning his shirt. John hangs off the dock to grab a bill from the water.
3: Still got that gun?
1: John pulls it from his belt, opens the chamber. Empty shells falling out. Pete stands up, holds out his hand. John hands it over. Pete turns, walks toward town. What you got in mind?
3: Gonna see a slag about some money. Appreciate it, by the way. Sorry you had to do it.
1: John and Pete are 50 yards from McCormick's. The front door opens. Boss exits. John stops reflexively out of fear. Pete continues. John catches up. Boss crosses the street, disappearing into an alleyway. Wait.
6: Wait! What? You're going to go back in there with an empty gun?
3: i got to get it back.
6: I had all the money we needed. Yeah, then you lost it. You go in there and they'll kill you for sure. You're so bent on dying, at least give me the satisfaction of killing you myself for being such a damn fool! Two able-bodied guys working for three months and we got... We're fifty bucks in the
3: hole! Hey, I took a risk, Johnny! When you ever done that?
6: Well, when do you think? I trusted you to use your brain and keep your pecker in your pants for a few months!
1: Turned out to be a, my risky affair, wouldn't you say? Pete sits down. Sighs and unties his boot. He pulls out the deed.
3: Hands it to John. What's that? Our deed. You keep it from now on.
1: What's it doing in your boot, Pete? Man with a plan? John takes the deed, puts it in his pocket. Ready to light into him again, he looks down at his brother, tying his boot, forlorn like a lost boy.
3: If I told you, (laughs) you'd kill me for sure.
1: They look around, settling down. Well, now what? Now we stick together. John and Pete walk from the mill, Pete carrying his knapsack. Pete looks across at the dam, then straight ahead, he wipes his mouth, hand
3: trembling. I'm sorry, Johnny. I am. John, Pete, Vic, and
1: Papi ride through the woods in silence. The wagon packed with supplies. Pete sighs, head in hands.
6: Should have seen you choking that bastard. Little Pity flopping and flapping like a damn
1: fish. They laugh as Bob P and Vic listen, befuddled.
3: We still got the land.
1: We'll be all right. Stan sharpens a saw as John and Pete enter. Who you got here? It's Pete. I wonder if you'd have
6: something up here for him. He's my brother. Boss enters behind them. He was a Sawyer down the mill,
13: so he knows his way. Can he talk? Yes, sir. Pete extends his hand. Well... Boss looks at it. If you can't hack the mill, you sure in for a rough pulley up here. Yes, sir. What do you think? Could use another yard dog. Nope. They ain't working close. Go grease the skids, dumbest job we got. Plenty far from the river, too. Wanna keep him on Terry Fermi. Pete blinks. Word travels fast, apparently.
3: Yes, um, much obliged,
1: sir. Boss approaches, arms open. He pulls Pete into a kiss on each cheek. For luck. Troy Watson shows Christopher a metal, wind-up toy rabbit as the other kids gather round. Wind him up,
8: put him down like so, and off he goes.
1: Betsy smiles. Nora, wearing a nurse's uniform, enters through the front door. Stops, confused. Troy jumps up. Bonnie
8: runs to her.
4: Honey, not till I change clothes. Hello, Nora. Troy Watson. Hello
5: there.
8: I was, uh... I I saw your mother.
5: Troy was an exceptional help to me in town today, so I asked him to accompany us for dinner. What do you have there? I
10: got a dolly, and Bonnie got the bunny, and Chris got a train, and Annabelle got a
4: book.
5: A book, you say? Well,
4: what a nice man. Did everyone thank Mr. Watson?
5: Yes, they did. Why don't you get cleaned up and
8: help me with dinner? She's
5: working down at the hospital.
8: Yes, you you mentioned... And with
5: child, if you can believe it.
8: Yes, uh, congratulations. I, I heard about that. You know, it can be very dangerous working so hard while carrying a child. Especially in your early stages, so, so I've read. And in a hospital, all the
5: germs. What are you doing?
1: Betsy steps close, then back again. The germs.
5: My apologies, Troy. Do excuse
1: us. Oh, certainly. Troy winds up the rabbit again.
5: I don't appreciate your rudeness, you know that? I'm married when- I read an article yesterday. Have you heard of a California widow? Yes, I have. And it's John's- a woman whose husband's run off with the gold rush. And he says, I'll come back. I'll send money. I said I know what it means. You might as well be a widow. But I'm not. I appreciate your concern for my romantic affairs, Romantic? But- I'm talking survival, missy. That nice man would take you in a snap. Kits and all. And all your problems
4: go away.
8: You got it.
5: We are about broke, and the clock's ticking, so you better think about it. Troy
8: opens the door. I'm sorry. I see the timing isn't optimal. Perhaps another night? Oh, everything's just fine.
4: Maybe another night, Troy. Thank you for the nice gifts. That was very kind. I'm sorry.
8: I I understand. Uh, I'll see you soon, I hope. Goodbye, children. He walks down the path toward the street. The kids appear in the doorway.
4: He's leaving, Mama?
1: Yes, he is. Betsy goes inside with the kids.
3: Clean clothes around back. (laughs) (laughs) And then old Parson's wife sits down with my shirt and pants all folded up and clean, and she says, Next time it won't be just your pants it's all pressed and flat and crisp. (laughs) So, that was that for that one. Anyway, to answer your question, Nah. I ain't married. Johnny here's got the best girl I ever, so.
1: John follows Stan as he walks through the camp.
6: Hey, Stan, what do you think of me moving up? I gotta make more money. Setting chokers is the shittiest job here.
12: Well, we could use a high climber when Vic's out falling. I'll give you another five a week for it. What's that? Shimmy up the spar pole and fix pulleys, or when we need a fresh pole, you climb up and topper. Rigger and glimmer. Pretty easy as long as you don't fall off.
1: What else you got? John and Stan approach. Oxen huddle under the shabby lean-to.
12: Here's the shittiest job. It's piling up. I usually do it. So how about you keep it clean and keep them fed? Take off their yokes every night. Tack on two bits a week. All right. Fork's over there. Dump it behind the kitchen for Bappy's garden. Thanks. A man whose reach exceeds his grasp, I suppose.
1: John unhooks his log, noting Boss and Sullivan, the portly, spectacled company owner, in the distance, embroiled in a heated exchange. Who's that?
0: That's old Sullivan himself. Only shows up when shit's going
13: to kill her.
2: I need another raft today from you.
13: If I could, don't you think it would have been already? You know, I'd be much obliged to hear, just once. Boss, before I sell these orders, do you think we can fill them?
2: These orders get filled, we take it inland and up to Tacoma. You want a piece of that or not? I could pull you off this camp and put you down on the easy pickings. Nah. You want wood? I'll flood that quim whole town with wood. All right then, Shelley. Up two. Get another raft a day from these apes.
1: Sullivan heaves into the carriage. The driver whips the horse and they disappear into the tall trees. Boss turns to the operation, red-faced. The guys have been watching, and that puts him over the edge. Let's move. Get to the getting. We're going to flood them Mox. Boss kicks Pete down, grabs his bucket and broom, spreading grease like a maniac. Pete grimaces, holding his anger.
13: This house you grease
1: you muck-brain mongoloid. Boss storms to the edge of the landing looks down the ridge at the biggest log on the slope by far. That big hedge rotten
13: down there, Travis!
1: I want her! Sven jumps down from the steam donkey.
13: Can't take her from here, boss! She's too big and sideways! I'll show ya! You got no support for the spar!
1: Squarehead head puff guts! Boss tromps to the steam donkey. Travis hooks up the log. He signals to Patty. Boss pulls the lever. The spool rolls in cable. He jumps down from the donkey, grabs the ox driver's whip. Go!
12: Ain't blue ribbons, as
1: he whips, punches and kicks, Go! Boss doesn't see the spar pole bending under the pressure. Pull! Sven backs away quickly. Pull! John and Pete watch the other guys scatter. Boss looks up, runs back to the steam donkey. He watches, a hand on the lever.
13: Get up here, you fat old fussy!
1: The pole bends down toward Boss like a bow as John and Pete back away. Pole pops. Boss pushes the lever to stop the spool, but it doesn't budge. He's confused. Panicked, John stops, then sprints toward Boss. Hey!
2: Johnny!
1: Then the pole snaps in half. The enormous pressure yanks the 100 foot trunk toward Boss, but John tackles it and they fly off the platform as the pole crashes down on the steam donkey, then swoops around, pulled from the huge log below. Dragging the fiery boiler, sending flaming wood and embers everywhere. Boss sits as the chaos spins around him. John tries to help him up, but he shoves him aside. Get off! Sven and Harry wrestle a rolled-up fire hose to the edge of the riverbank. Rolling down the trail from the landing, Sullivan surveys a crude map and a ledger, unaware of the plume of smoke growing in the distance. His driver points.
13: Hey, boss, take a look.
2: Go back. Get blasted.
1: Guys with buckets run toward the fire, strangely jolly. Boss watches oxen pull the steam donkey away from the fire. Sullivan appears.
2: Shelly, what happened?
1: Boss snaps out of his trance, walks to Sullivan, tries to escort him away from the guys.
13: Got it under control. Just a couple of dumb greenhorns. I'll take care of them. Always do. Shut up, idiot.
1: John and Pete watch as boss. And Sullivan talk inaudibly. Sullivan asks Boss something. Boss answers, nodding, elaborating in detail. Sullivan nods in agreement. Um, As Patty drowns the last flame, Sullivan walks back toward the guys.
2: All right, fellas. I'm relieving Boss of his duties here, relocating him to a new camp. Stand your new Boss and uh, John and Pete. Pete, You're his right-hand men. 15% increase in pay for you both. Keep up the good work. Sullivan takes a dramatic
1: turn for his carriage. Patty pats John and Pete on the back as they look at each other with skeptical smiles. Stan walks to the carriage as Boss and Sullivan climb in. What's that all about?
2: It's your camp, Stan. We got big orders, so get it back on track. Boss is starting another operation. for those two, all right? See you in two weeks.
1: John, Pete, and the guys eat dinner. Ty plops down.
14: Well, I was hoping that log was going to trespass on old boss's bunghole. But even better, thanks to you fellers. No more boss. I'm reborn.
12: Well, happy birthday. You still owe me four months' work. Stan enters, holding a few letters. Post from town.
1: He hands one to John. Here you go. John opens the letter. His face falls. He leaves.
14: Uh Uh-oh. Another logger getting the minting.
1: Pete gets up, follows John out. John stands against the wall next to the window, reading the letter by the interior light as Pete watches. What's going on? Nora's expecting.
3: Well, that's good news, ain't it?
6: I mean, she's got to be here on schedule, and we ain't ready. We wait any longer, and it ain't safe for her. She has the baby there. That's another three months. Makes it a year since I left.
3: (laughs) Should have kept your pecker in your pants, you damn Mormon. (laughs) Ha! Come on, it'll be all right. (laughs)
6: <laughs> she didn't on purpose. She knew what had happened. She knew.
3: Don't you think you played a part in it? Ain't her fault. How about end of the term, you head home. I'll keep things rolling. You come back when the time's right. I
6: ain't going back there twice a failure. She ain't coming out before we're ready either. Living under Sullivan's thumb. Can't let her and the kids see that. So what are you going to do? It'll have to wait till next year. Gives us more time here to be sitting pretty. We'll have it all figured out by then.
3: hold on that long?
6: I got to get it figured out. She'll have to hold on.
3: <laughs> Here, I thought I was the gambler.
1: John heaves the heavy yoke <laughs> onto the necks of two oxen, wrestling to keep them together while strapping it up.
6: Come on,
0: bastards! Bastard.
1: A appears.
6: Ready
0: to go!
1: It's just about...
6: Men are waiting! Got it, boss. How about a hand?
1: <laughs> Stand those out money for another Saturday night. He hands a few bills to Sven,
12: who leaves, revealing Pete. What you got in mind, son? How much can I get? This week gives you eight bucks. You want to blow it already?
3: I got a three-month term. That's 96.
12: Can I have it? Just got here and already your game for indentured servitude. <laughs> Figured you was smarter than that. Stan counts out the cash, marks the ledger, hands it over.
1: Okay. Pete leaves as bop rolls up in the wagon. John enters an empty bunkhouse. He sits down, looks around. He sees Pete's empty bunk. The family picture nailed above. He gets up and goes outside. John walks across to the filer's shack. Stan sharpens a saw inside.
12: Stan, you seen Pete? Uh, He headed down with the boys. (laughs) Had the whole term in his pocket. Son of a bitch. (laughs) Annabelle
1: looks in a dresser drawer. Sarah puts on her nightgown. Nora enters, holding Bonnie, herding Christopher along.
4: Keep going, Christopher, keep going. I'm hungry. I know, honey, me too.
1: He jumps on the bed as Nora changes Bonnie's diaper.
4: Mama? Bonnie, hold still. Mr. Toy wants to be our papa. I suppose he does. Annabelle may!
1: Nora grabs at Annabelle's hand that holds a charcoal pencil. Heavy scribbles all over John's letter. Annabelle fights. Drop it. She slaps Annabelle hard, then recoils. (laughs) As the kids gape in fear, Annabelle sits down. Nora drops to the floor, trembling.
4: Oh, sweetheart. Oh, no, I'm sorry.
1: She turns, seeing Lee watching in the doorway. He takes an uneasy step in. See you in the morning. What? Pardon? What were you going to
4: say?
7: You can wait till tomorrow. What? Dear, your mother and I have been talking the past few days. Harvest never happened. We can't get through the winter. Thought it would turn around, but never did. We have to start over again, but we have just enough to get to Chicago. Chicago? I'm sorry we waited so long. All we have is enough for your mother and me. Who'll watch them? We can't all live off you, dear. The store's going under. The house is yours. Sell whatever you need. Take boarders, or. Or what? Now, I can't approve on biblical grounds, but your mother has a. a.
1: Just think of your children.
4: Go! Go then!
1: Betsy lies in bed, listening to Lee and Nora crying. Go! Betsy covers her head with a pillow.
4: Leave us here.
1: John jumps off the wagon as Bob P rolls on. He heads to McCormick's. John exits McCormick's and heads down the street. John walks up from the docks. Pete sits at the edge of the mill pond, looking across toward the dam. John approaches from the distance.
6: I'm getting tired of chasing you around. What the hell are you doing? Damn it, Pete, what's wrong? You pissed all the money away again?
3: No, I didn't. Look.
6: Then what? We're
1: supposed to be partners, you know, you can't just- Look! Pete points out to the water. We scan the timbers and see the edge of the raft. A log? with a V for Vinton, chopped in the bark.
3: That's our tree. They're on our land. Running on Sunday to get it cut as fast as he can. Another
1: raft floats down
3: into the mill pond. Gotta kill him, John.
1: Alright. Joe and his son lug a barrel of salmon up to a cart on the dock. John and Pete arrive.
3: Hey Joe, will you take us up river?
1: No,
6: fish to get in. They're logging our land, Sullivan. Son, get that to Cartwright. Start at 40, no lower than 20.
1: Joe's son wheels the heavy cart away.
3: When you get there, then what? You got any rifles? Yes. He's running today, so all the guns are locked up and all he's got is that shotgun. We sit in the woods and pluck them. Then we come back here, for Sullivan.
1: Joe opens the boiler door, throwing in some wood. Yes. Untie us. Pete, John, and Joe putter upstream, driving up to a steep bank. Pete leans a crude ladder up, climbs up with a rifle. Wait. John hesitates.
3: Aw, come on.
1: Finally, John follows. Joe pulls down the ladder. The boat drifts away as the guys march into the woods. Pete and John walk through the woods carrying rifles.
3: Blessing in disguise, you know.
1: How do you figure that? They reach a ridge, looking down on a camp smaller and even more makeshift, but nevertheless in full swing. Fallen timber lies everywhere. We hear boss's voice, yelling instructions, ringing through the valley.
3: He done most of the hard work for us. We put him and Sullivan out of their misery, and we're all set. Just in time for your tribe to light in. What? That's where I spent my draw. They're coming.
6: What are you thinking?
3: Looked like you was giving up on them, Johnny. I didn't know this was going on, but we're going to kill those bastards anyway, so it all works out, don't you think? You don't know a from your
6: sweet Where is Find
3: it? Either, either going to surprise him or keep our distance and pluck him. Well, time's a-wasting.
1: Pete throws open the bunkhouse door. Empty. The brothers lock eyes and nod, walking toward the steam donkey and the loggers. 200 feet from camp, a bucker looks down through a thin row of trees, seeing John and Pete approaching the steam donkey, pointing rifles, ordering workers to stop. To his side, boss saws a huge tree, near ready
13: to fall.
7: Hey, boss, who's that?
13: Boss looks down at camp, smiles. (laughs) Just a couple of dumb greenhorns. I'll take care of them always do. He rotates the saw around the tree a couple feet,
1: sawing fast. Hey! Shut up! Boss picks up a wedge, plants it into the saw line, and with a huge swing of the sledgehammer, drives it in. And away she goes. John and Pete hear the rushing tree falling toward them. They run to the side, caught by the branches, and pinned to the ground. Loggers run to the scene as Pete and John struggle to get up.
6: Him. This is our
1: land! John gets loose and clambers for the gun. He finds it, pushing himself up through the branches. He searches for Pete, Pete, keeping the gun trained on the guys. John finds Pete buried under branches, kicking and writhing, a bone jutting out from his upper arm. He tries to pull the branches, but they're too thick. John turns to the approaching boss, cocks the rifle, and pulls the trigger. He shakes the gun, rattling the loose parts inside. John runs at boss, holding the gun by the barrel like a baseball bat. Boss waits. John swings with everything in him. Boss puts up his arm, the rifle breaking in two, knocking him a step sideways. Boss turns and buckles John with a swift punch. John gets up and Boss hits him again, knocking him out. Boss hunches over John and hits him again. Is he boss? Pete wrestles up enough to free his busted arm, swinging his rifle around at Boss. Ah! As Boss winds up to hit John again, Pete fires a shot, grazing Boss's side. Boss stomps toward him. Pete fires again. Missing, Boss grabs the gun and swings it at Pete. Pete blocks it with his busted arm. Hey, Boss, no! Bucker grabs Boss from behind, and two other loggers join him, pulling him away, protecting Pete. He shakes them off. All right, all right, I ain't gonna kill him. As soon as the guys back away, he
13: swoops down on Pete with a crushing blow. Boss, this is my operation. Anyone else want to claim it? Take a whack, come on. He says I'm stealing their land. Ain't you gonna stand up for righteousness? On the Sabbath day, no less, you dad dang cowards. The loggers look on, ashamed. And clean up this mess. I'll show him an old Indian trick I learned.
1: Trees wave and sway in the autumn wind. The river eases through the valley. A log appears, floating around the bend. We see hands tied to a rope around the log. It's John, lying unconscious, a huge gash in his temple, legs straddling the log. Small rapids turn the log slowly, dumping John into the water. John's eyes open. He hangs from his tied hands in eight-foot-deep water, thrashing in terror. He pulls his chest up to the log, kicking his legs up to wrap around, but it's too big. He sees the shore through the murky water, kicking toward it, fighting the urge to take a breath. Finally, he finds footing and stands. John breaks the surface. His log is tied end to end with another. He stumbles and slips under. John yanks the log above him, legs turning toward shore through the large rocks. John emerges again, this time with enough footing to stumble to shore, pulling the two logs. The second log drifting around John downstream. It also has a rope tied around it, but no peat. He looks up at the other log, blinking through a bloody eye. Current takes the logs away from shore, pulling John by his wrists. He kicks the rope, getting some slack, pulling as the rope cuts into his wrists. Finally, his right hand slips free, loosening the ropes enough to release the left. John claws to the other log. He dives underwater. He sees Pete. Drifting, lifeless, hanging by his wrists, legs bumping along the rocks. John grabs him around the waist, trying to push him up onto the log. But he's too heavy, and the water is too deep. He heaves the huge log toward shore, finally into the shallow water. Picking Pete up, he drapes him over the log. John stands, holding Pete's body against the log. Pete! Pete! Joe stands in his boat, looking upstream. John appears on the opposite side, walking through waist-deep water, towing the log with Pete. Joe pulls anchor. The parson sends off exiting parishioners as John arrives with Pete over his shoulder. The parishioners walk by, staring in horror. The parson leaves the others, approaches John with compassion. John and parson throw the last dirt on Pete's grave. Parson's young son hammers a wooden cross into the ground. John looks down at the cross. He hangs a crude placard. Peter John Vinton, 1859, 1893. A brave man.
7: I'll have you a proper stone by the end of the week, son. Lord bless you.
1: John sighs. He takes a long look at the parson you sent a message to my wife the men leave the grave walking toward the church john hobbles up the familiar road back to camp he looks up into the trees his mind forming hallucinations in the canopy of shadows he sees young pete swinging from a rope swing letting go soaring splashing into the creek that flowed behind their farmhouse. He sees young Nora standing on the top rung of the barn ladder, then jumping down into the hay, laughing. He sees pop between cornstalks, cutting, then stumbling, gasping, dying. He sees Nora clinging to the porch post of their farmhouse, wailing, Sarah, Annabelle, and Christopher on the wagon, crying. The banker and his thug watching, then looking away as John's hands pry Nora's from the post. He sees Nora's lovely face on their last night together, arms outstretched. He wipes the blood from his head, seeing camp in the near distance. John enters the bunkhouse, stumbling to Vic's bunk. Vic. Vic, wake up.
6: What? Hey, John, what you doing? Come on, get up. I gotta talk to you. What happened to you? Just come outside.
11: I don't think Stan knows. Can't figure him going along with that. Who do you trust here? With your plan?
6: Not a one. Can't do it alone. I gotta have your help, Vic. You're
1: all I got. John stumbles. Vic catches him and they crumple down. Get you to bed and heal you up. Gotta do it now. Come on. Vic drags John back into the bunkhouse.
11: John! Hey, wake up! Johnny! Get some water and a rag or something. Ah, he's breathing, but he ain't waking up. Johnny!
1: Patty arrives with a bucket and cloth. Stan follows. Vic grabs the bucket and throws it on John. John gasps, <laughs> lurching up, then stumbling sideways. up. Take her easy. What happened? Two guys grab him, sitting him back down as his wits
12: return. Where's your brother? He okay?
6: I don't know where he is. Where'd he skip camp with your money?
14: What happened to you?
6: I'm hungry.
1: He gets up.
14: Breakfast is done.
12: Slept right through it.
6: This is Dan, I'm gonna kill him. And I'm gonna kill- No, no, take her easy.
12: Who you gonna kill?
11: Nobody, just yet.
6: (laughs) Let's get to work.
12: No, you stay here today.
6: I'm here to
1: work, so let's work. Yeah, it'll be good for him. And get the blood flowing. John takes a hat from a bunk, shoving the cloth into it. Get to the getting. Let's go! Troy Watson hunches over a ledger. The telegraph paper spool spelling out a message. He rolls over to it, follows the type. Aberdeen, Washington State, from Pete Vinton, Dunning, Iowa. Nora Vinton, John, alive, enclosed $90. Come to Aberdeen. Standing on the porch, Nora holds an envelope full of cash, reading the telegram as Troy looks on. In the bare dining room behind, we see fruit boxes around a jerry-rigged table made from an old door. Nora looks up at Troy. He hands her
8: another telegram. This one also, I'm afraid. Pete, dead. Need more time. Please wait. What else can I do for you, Nora?
4: Nothing. Thank you. All right, then. Troy? Yes? When's the next train going west?
8: Uh, 7.35 this evening.
4: All right. Thank you.
8: He shuffles off. Nora looks down at Sarah.
4: We're going to Papa. Tonight. The
0: river's winding round words in my head Shivering pines say that summer is dead Chest feels hollow and my hands are numb My best to swallow All the things I've done You break your back But you still don't have bread You won't go back On the things that you said You bleed your heart out And it takes every drop You've come to find out
1: the logging operation hums along again, except for John, who stumbles up the ridge to the landing. An off-bearer removes the choker. John takes it and heads back down over the edge, losing his balance and tumbling down a few feet. Then back up, wobbly.
7: Hey! You are right there?
9: I'm working.
1: John, looking healthier, walks to Pete's bunk. He takes the family picture. You ready? Vic nods. The guys gather as Stan pulls up the table and cash box. John and Vic inch closer. All right.
12: Who's first?
11: I got 260 saved and 240 for advance.
12: Yeah. How much you want?
1: All of it. 500. Stan looks up at Vic. Hey, John.
12: What's going on, fellas? Where's your
1: brother? John hunches over the table. Eye to eye with Stan. He's dead.
6: Boss killed him. And Sullivan's logging our land. Did you know that?
12: No, I didn't. I'm sorry about your brother, son. You sure about that? Your land?
1: How you think they're going to fill those orders? Stan looks at the other loggers, goofing around. All of them in debt to the camp. Ready to go deeper. All right. 500, then. He counts it out. Hands it to Vic.
14: Holy shit! Vic's cashing out!
12: (laughs) All right,
1: get back! Stan takes the rest of the cash, easily more than 500. Gives it to John, along with his revolver. Thank you.
6: You want to join us, Stan? We're going to kill him, you know.
12: Lord keep you. He pats John on the cheek. That's it, fellas. Bank's closed.
5: Some bitch, Stan. What about us? The
12: bank is closed. And not a hand will touch him. You hear me? John,
1: Vic, and Joe putter to the steep bank. I listen for you. Yeah. Then head right up. John leans the ladder up, climbs up. Vic follows, carrying a knapsack and his rifle. But the boat drifts away from the bank. The ladder slips. Hey! He throws the knapsack up to John, who lunges, catching it, trying to reach Vic. Joe jumps to the wheel, but it's too late. The ladder slides down, and Vic jumps for the boat. He lands on the rail with a thud, the ladder and his rifle tumbling into the water. Ah! Vic hangs from the rail as John watches from above, helpless. Joe pulls Vic into the boat. He rolls on the deck.
2: Vic! Ah, shit! Ah.
6: What the hell are you doing?
1: Too dark, I can't see. John looks around. Anchor up over there and wait. What? No. I will try again later. I'm doing it. Today's the day. John takes the revolver and a bag of bullets out of the knapsack, throws it back down to the boat. He turns and disappears into the woods. John arrives at the ridge. Looking down at the slumbering camp, takes a deep breath, slides down the steep embankment. John creeps into the camp. He looks around at each building, approaches one of the two cabins. He pulls the door open, just tools and saws, the filer's shack. At the other cabin, he goes to the door, listening padlock is missing. Boss's cabin. He pulls on the door, but two boards bar it from the inside. He looks closer, pushing his fingers in to push the boards up. But the crack is too narrow. He scurries to the filer's shack, returns with a long file, shoves it into the crack, trying to pry up the board. The file slips. What? Are you all John stands, aiming the gun at the door, shaking. John wipes his head, trembling, thinking, looking up and around. He runs into the darkness, then returns, dragging a long cable. He pulls it around the cabinet eye level, then low the second time around, wrapping the door, then through the tow hook on the skids. He runs into the filer's shack, clanks around, returns carrying a climbing belt and spars a high climber's gear. Back to the tow hook, he tightens the cable and drags the lead line out to the steam donkey. John pulls a lever, releasing the spool of cable that runs up to the spar pole, then down to a big log. He fills the firebox with wood, pours kerosene all over the wood. John unhooks the cable from the big log. Dragging the cable, he runs toward the edge of the forest. John pants, sitting, fastening the spars, stands up, wraps the tree trunk with a short rope, connects it to his belt, shimmies up, carrying the heavy cable. In fits and starts, John pulls the heavy cable, fighting his fear. He takes a step up as a thud rings from the camp below. He jerks, loses his footing, falls ten feet, then finally digs in a spike. He waits, looking. A logger stumbles from the outhouse. Another deep breath, and back up. John is into the limbs, heaving the cable up. And around the tree, he connects the noose. John (laughs) scrambles down the tree. He runs the spar pole cable through the end of the one he wrapped around Boss's cabin. Hooks it all up, frantic. John pulls the lever, and the cable tightens through the tow hook and around the cabin with a crackle. John cocks the revolver and waits, hiding behind the steam donkey. Watching Boss's cabin 30 yards away. Boss's eyes open. He jumps up, throws the boards off, pushes the door, but the cables block it. Hey! He yanks and slams the door, but it doesn't budge. Hey! God damn it! John pushes the steam donkey lever forward again. The spool speeds up, pulling the cable attached to Boss's cabin. He bobbles the bag of bullets into his pocket. Boss stumbles as the cabin jerks. He grabs his shotgun. The cabin tips back. He falls. The cabin rises off the ground. A bucker throws open the bunkhouse door. A bullet hits the wall a few feet to his side. A warning shot. John aims back at Boss's cabin. The bucker looks around. Another shot. He retreats. Boss reorients. grasps a hole in the thick door. He kicks, yanking the door again. But the cables block his escape. The cabin hangs 20 feet in the air and climbing. Boss takes aim at John. The hail of buckshot knocks holes in the steam donkey, catching John from the side, hocking his face as he falls backward away from the steam donkey. The cabin's 30 feet up, cable buckling the walls boss shoots and kicks out a bigger hole, enough to climb out. He reloads. As the cabin rises up, he reaches up into an overturned footlocker, fishing out a revolver. He aims. John's hit as blood sprays from his side, sending him tumbling backward. Hit again through the side of his neck, He runs ahead, yanks the lever. The spool releases, cable unwinding in a fury. The cabin drops, collapsing around Boss. John runs toward the wreckage. Boss moans from beneath the shattered lumber. John peels back the ruins, revealing Boss's shotgun. He grabs it, then finds Boss. Boss comes to, takes a breath to speak. John aims the shotgun, stepping on Boss's throat with his spiked boot. He looks down at Boss, fury in his eyes, blood draining from his neck and side, his face pocked with buckshot. These goddamn woods are dangerous, ain't they? John looks up at Bertha, the camp cook, watching from under the kitchen lean-to. He sees the loggers watching through the bunkhouse window. Boss struggles. John cracks him with the gun, knocking him out. He runs to the filer shack, returns with some rope. The bucker creeps the door open. John aims the revolver. Don't shoot! Get in there! John fires, this time, only missing by a few feet. The bucker ducks back inside. John hog ties Boss by his wrists, ankles, and mouth. All right, come on out. The guys emerge.
6: I'm sorry. We tried to stop him. I'm
1: telling you. I'm sorry. The logger walks to Boss, spits on him. John digs around in the wreckage, finding the ledger and fountain pen.
6: Now this is my land, so I'm taking over the operation. We'll send this timber to market and we'll pay what's owed you. If you want to stay on, you can. If you want to move on, you can.
1: It's up to you. Joe's boat appears. John walks away, tearing the Sullivan cover off the ledger, writes something. John leads the two loggers who carry Boss. They load Boss into the boat as Vic gets out, hunched over. Good work. John hands Joe the ledger cover. Let nature take its course. Joe nods and smiles. John rummages in the pile, finding the cash box. He walks toward another logger, shakes his hand. Bertha appears with towels and a wide smile. That was something else. Joe and his son drag Boss down the hotel hallway. They stop at the executive suite. Joe pulls three big clusters of dynamite from his bag and the ledger cover. His son knocks on the door and they run away. Sullivan opens the door as Juliet pulls up a stocking behind him. He looks down at Boss, crumpled on the floor, eyes wide. The ledger cover pinned to his shirt says, A gift from Vinton Brothers Timber, LTD. Sullivan looks up. An explosion decimates the entire corner of the hotel. Wood and glass flying everywhere. Nora and the kids ride in the cramped train seats, exhausted. The explosion, snapping Nora, Annabelle and Sarah out of their fog, Smoke rises on the horizon. Nora looks across to an elderly lady knitting. She smiles back, referring to the explosion with nonchalant familiarity.
5: <laughs> Almost to Aberdeen.
1: John and some loggers rebuild the cabin as Joe's boat skids to shore, carrying Patty, Ty, Stan, and John's family. Nora. He runs to her picks her up and he is overwhelmed with the sight of his family his sorrow fades as he tries to hug and kiss everyone at once she can talk they look at each other with a loving smile carrying kids walking toward camp together john wraps her up in a joyful embrace kissing her
6: welcome home
0: come tomorrow it's all gonna be alright